Hey everyone, meet Kevin here. Well, 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 today was one heck of a crazy day, not just the markets, but also in the crypto markets. And to help us try to understand a little bit more about the crypto world in general, I've got Mark, who is so generous to join me, the CEO of Big Digital Assets, a fast growing and up and coming public crypto firm to help answer some of our crypto questions. So welcome aboard, Mark. Introduce yourself, tell us a little bit, what does Big do? Hey, Kevin, thanks for having me. It's great to be here today. Big is, we call it compliance first crypto. We have two businesses. One's called Blockchain Intelligence Group. It's all about crypto forensics and tracking the movement of crypto through the blockchain, mostly for law enforcement. And then we have a crypto brokerage company called Netcoins, which um, helps uh, Canadians buy and sell crypto quickly and easily. Wow, that's incredible. So well, immediately when I hear crypto forensics and law enforcement, I can't help but think about Palantir. Are you like the the Palantir of crypto? Yeah, we're we're similar to that. Or you can think of Chainalysis as well. You know, we're out there trying to help stamp out crime in crypto, as we call it. We have software products that help law enforcement do their job. Uh, you know, look into problems and uh, make it a safer ecosystem all over the world. Is, is your data something that might potentially blend with Palantir? Like, could somebody integrate your data into Palantir or are they different systems? They're different systems at this point, but, you know, we've watched what they're doing and uh, we think it's pretty exciting. Um, anybody that's in the space helping crypto get adopted more mainstream, and we believe that a certain amount of oversight, uh, compliance and regulation is required to really go mainstream with crypto. Gotcha. And so what do you think about Janet Yellen suggesting that uh, there's, uh, you know, potentially a lot of illicit use in crypto? Is, is that true? Is that what you're seeing or, or what are you seeing out there? Certainly there's some, you know, and that was in the earlier days of crypto. It was more prevalent. Now it's become an investment asset. I mean, it becomes very clear that uh, crypto, particularly Bitcoin, is becoming uh, an asset that corporations want to have on their balance sheet. You know, they see it as a store of value. They see it as a stronger store of value than US dollars, Canadian dollars, British pounds in terms of long-term value. So that's really becoming the, uh, the broader use now is an investment, a store of value, and much more, um, it's evolving into payments too. You see PayPal jumping into the game, you see MasterCard jumping into the game. It's going to be used for everyday payments around the world in, in short order. So what's like a, I mean, a, a typical use case, uh, as, as much as you can disclose, like what's a typical thing that your company would do, uh, not, not so much on, on the trading side that you do in Canada, but on the security side, like who would come to you? A cop come just comes to you and goes, hey, I want to figure out where this drug money is going. Is, is that a rough example? Yeah, that could be the rough example. The idea is we usually sell them the product in advance so they don't come to us direct. Um, we sell them Clue is the name of our product, Q-L-U-E. And that product uses is used to do the tracking. So they'd log into their license with Clue and they put in a wallet address um, where they believe coins may have originated. They could be destined for a drug purchase or they may have been involved in a drug purchase and they want to track these coins. And our software will show it how that uh, crypto moves through the blockchain, what wallets it goes to, maybe what exchanges it goes to. Um, and it can be used to track theft. I mean, a big one now is, uh, you know, if someone can steal your wallet and pickpocket you walking down the street and your, you know, your US dollars, your greenbacks are gone, but what if they steal your crypto? And Clue is perfect for that. So a law enforcement agent would put in the address of the wallet where the coins were stolen from, and it will track it all over the world around the blockchain. And if it ends up on an exchange, like our friends at Coinbase that went public today, um, they'll send a subpoena to, to Coinbase and they'll say, 
who owns that wallet address? We believe there's proceeds of crime and we want you to freeze the coins. And then they will, they'll freeze wow. the coins. Um, really? Oh, yeah, wow. So be an investigation, right? And it can end up in court and our tools have been used in court to prove that coins have gone from point A to point B. Um, and, you know, our job is not to be law enforcement. It's to yeah. give great tools to law enforcement to do their job when crypto gets involved in crime. That's incredible. So so really, if if let's say there's a, uh, a crypto scammer in the YouTube comments that steals, I don't know, a uh, million dollars from somebody, uh, in, in theory, uh, a law enforcement agency, whether it's the FBI or a local agency, they could take the wallet address the person sent the money to, put it into Clue, and, and then you could try to basically spiderweb network where those coins are going. And if those coins end up on like a Coinbase, we could freeze those and, and really try to get those assets back. Is that right? A hundred percent. You've nailed it. I mean, if someone is sitting in your chat right now, posting an address saying, you know, send me money, if it's a scam or fraud, um, we can jump on that address and our software will track it in real time. We can even put address watches on addresses. So sometimes what criminals will do is they'll take the coins, they'll move it through a couple wallets and they'll let it sit there for a year, hoping people sort of forget about it. Yeah. And then they'll start moving the coins again once they think it's safe and no one's watching. But Clue will watch that address and tell a law enforcement agent within seconds if the coins are on the move again. And when they get to an endpoint, an endpoint is almost always an exchange. That's how people get out their money. That's how they get their fiat currency out. And we know where all of the hot wallets and cold wallets of exchanges are all over the world, like what the address ranges are. And we can tell them that's Kraken. Go to Kraken and, and chase that money down. And so will these other agencies cooperate? I mean, what's their motivation to cooperate? Yeah, it's it's normal course of law enforcement to have cross-border relationships. Um, sometimes they go through embassies and different things. Like our exchange, NetCoins, we've seen proceeds of crime end up on it. And you'll get, you know, uh, the FBI can call and say, hey, we want to subpoena you to give us information about that that address. It's very normal for exchanges to have to share information if there's proceeds of crime end up on them. And law enforcement agents in the different countries, they generally do cooperate. Um, there probably is some jurisdictions where they don't, where a rule sure. of law is not as strong, um, but we've seen generally a lot of cooperation in the space. Ah, that's incredible. I, I mean, I, I suppose it's in the best interest of, of really every exchange to minimize scams and theft. Uh, but uh, so so really what probably these folks do who steal money or whatever who are involved, they might take that into cold storage, like you said, for a year or so. But then it appears on exchange. What happens if, let's say, somebody says, hey, Kevin, I'm going to buy your NFT that you're selling but then then it ends up being stolen crypto and then you know that ends up on an exchange like what happens then now my crypto is frozen yeah it's just like a fiat currency right i mean you can be used in proceeds of crime and then it can end up back in the uh you know the the legal world you could say um and you know the investigators will have to do their job and, and figure out what makes sense and whose money belongs where um you know you talk about exchanges we have a second product in blockchain intelligence group called bitrank and it actually looks at transactions, movements of crypto, and it gives them a score, basically a risk assessment score. So if you're an exchange and someone wants to move a bunch of coins on your exchange to sell them, BitRank will look at where those coins are coming from and the wallet history and could tell the compliance officer in real time, hey, you should take a look at those coins. They're coming from wallets that we believe are high risk. And this wow. is how exchanges 
and market participants and brokers can even protect themselves from getting into that situation. Um, we use BitRank inside of our Netcoins trading platform, and it's a fantastic product to, to help make sure you stay clear of those situations. Now, who else is using Netcoins? I mean, this sounds like something that a lot of companies would want to use, unless, or, or are there many of you? Are, are there many, uh, uh, you know, clue reports, uh, which is so similar to uh, insurance, by the way, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, there's only a few companies in the world that actually do uh, what Clue does. We always say this, um, you know, I mentioned Chainalysis. Uh, there's companies like CypherTrace and Elliptic. Um, but it's not a lot because there's a lot of data points and a lot of complexity to these products. We've spent five or six years building Clue, 20 plus million dollars of investment into the software. And on the Bitcoin blockchain alone, we say we have like 780 million data points laying out wallets where they what exchanges they're on. It's a huge data product that then yeah. on the front end needs to be really simple for a law enforcement officer who may not know anything about crypto to sure. be able to use it and do their job. Um, so there is a few competitors, but it's actually a very tight competitive market, um, which means these products are extremely valuable. Yeah. Now, what what would really define like a high risk? Uh, I mean, is I mean, short of short of telling criminals what not to do. I mean, is it just like origin? Like, hey, these are other origin points, and there's maybe a connection to those origin points or address. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, cr criminals can uh, collect Bitcoin in wallet addresses that may, maybe they're theft. Let's just say from multiple yeah. different thefts, end up in one wallet address. Mm -hmm. And what happens is law enforcement can actually come to us. Um, we have something called the Crypto Fusion Center, and they can report that this address was involved in a crime. And then when coins come from that address, if you have BitRank integrated into your exchange, for example, we'll tell you, oh, those are coming from an address that we know that's been reported by law enforcement as being part of crime. And there'd be no other way. So the, the, it requires collaboration and cooperation between wide range of parties, but we're all collecting that data for the benefit of our clients on a, a daily basis. That's incredible. Uh, are, are you able to say if, if some of the larger exchanges use uh, use your service? Yeah, we don't uh, release a customer list, a uh, very competitive space, um, but we do have multiple exchanges that, that rely on this technology. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so uh, what about like, you know, generally we think of a cryptocurrency as something that protects our identity, but it really sounds like it's a perfect log of our identity if there's an association between who we are and our wallet address. Isn't it possible that the IRS in the future could just ask for our wallet address and our tax returns and all of a sudden they know more about us than they ever did before? Uh, maybe. I mean, we always say we're not tax advisors, but, you know, crypto, <laughs> gain, crypto gains are tax. Um, you know, depending on your jurisdiction, uh, in Canada, their capital gains and um, exchanges are being asked to supply data just like brokerage houses already do in traditional stocks uh, so they can make sure people are reporting their taxes. Um, but the blockchain is, it's only partially anonymous. You know, people ask me that question all the time, but I thought the blockchain was anonymous. Well, if you have a ledger uh, and a wallet address, no one is going to know that that's yours. But when you send those coins to an exchange, um, exchanges do KYC, know your customer, and they make you yeah. uh, generally sign up and say who you are and where you live and your phone number and your email address and that sort of information so they can stay on the right side of the law and regulators. Um, so the endpoints are regulated or becoming more regulated and definitely they know who you are. So when people say, ah, oh, there's no regulation in crypto, it's actually totally wrong. Like, I mean, with, with almost all the exchanges, you're providing all your information already and it, you're, you're one subpoena away from the government knowing everything about your crypto activities at that exchange, huh? Yeah, I mean, regulation is 
coming more and more. Um, you know, in Canada, the the CSA, which is the equivalent of the SEC in the states, has said that all crypto brokerages and exchanges need to contact them by April nineteenth and explain to them their plan for licensing and regulation. Um, and it's a good thing. We think it's a great thing. Our whole company is we call it compliance first crypto because. Um, there needs to be safety. And if you want widespread adoption of people using crypto as an investment, as a store of value, as a way of conducting, you know, legal transactions and spending, um, there needs to be safety. Uh, there's been some huge frauds in the, in the ecosystem. You know, there was Quadriga where the guy either died or faked his own death in India and $250 million essentially evaporated. Um, we don't want that to happen to in investors. Um, in the space. So I think the regulators are doing a great job of stepping up and saying, listen, we're not trying to stop crypto, but we do need it to be uh, safe for the, you know, the average investor putting his hard earned money into it. Golly, yeah, no kidding. What do you think about uh, the market today? So obviously today we had a big uh, IPO, well not IPO, the direct public listing, the uh, uh, or the DPO of Coinbase. Uh, you know, Coinbase sold off a little bit, the rest of the market fell down with it. Is, is crypto having such a massive impact that something like a, a, an initial offering going a little sideways leading the entire could lead the entire market down? For sure. I mean, all eyes were on Coinbase today. Today was Coinbase's day. You know, I can remember the day Facebook went public. I remember the day Twitter went public. I'll definitely remember this day uh, for Coinbase going public. And, you know, they went out at a, a pretty high valuation. Um, you know, there's lots of arguments on both sides. And then they opened, they gapped way up and they basically trailed down all day. And it dragged down the whole market with it, um, you know, including every single public crypto stock had a, had a pretty rough day. And a lot of people took money out of those stocks and put them into Coinbase. Um, and in general, the market, like you said, sold off with it. It's it's all good in the long run, right? It was a tough day today, but Coinbase going public, I think is fantastic for the crypto ecosystem. It's bringing a whole lot more investor eyeballs to the space, uh, getting more people to understand what these companies do. And by being public, there'll be more transparency in your reporting. Uh, and I think overall, the, the global crypto markets are are better off for it. So, you know, we welcome it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you think it's almost like uh, people just sold off their other, whether it was uh, big digital assets or Voyager or Riot or Mara and, and went and bought some Coinbase, but that was falling. So it's like, okay, well maybe sell more and buy more. And we just had this big redistribution of money, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watch probably 15 to 20 public crypto stocks every day and they either all go green together or they generally all go red together. There's definitely some, some exceptions, but today was a red day because I think most of the small caps and medium caps uh, sold for people to move money into Coinbase to, to you know try to play that IPO or day trade it or swing trade it. Well, and, and uh, you know, some of that money is obviously coming back out. Uh, you know, I think the future is very bright for all of these crypto companies, and, and tomorrow will be a, a new positive day. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So we'll we'll call it starting low. <laughs> we'll yeah. work up from there. So, well, I mean, what do you think about the future of uh, if, if even something like like Bitcoin? I mean, there are rumors that Bitcoin could go to four hundred thousand. Says Kathy Wood. We hear five hundred. We hear a million. Is is this reasonable? I mean, it, it it's just it, it's just a, a coin, right? It is reasonable. I mean, how big is the bond market? Um, you know, I, I I don't know what the number is, but I think someone said at one point something like. 30 trillion, or you can probably Google it. It's, it's a giant. I'm going to do that. Yeah. yeah, Google it. And, you know, bond market is a store of value for money that I think essentially is being parked. Um, you know, how big is the gold market globally? 
Um, there's no reason crypto can't be every bit as big and bigger than those markets because, again, it's a it's a store of value. It's a hedge against uh, fiat currency when governments, particularly during this, you know, COVID period right now, are printing money. The U.S. government printed more money in the last year than the previous hundred years combined. Same with most governments in the world. And that's why companies are putting money into crypto. And, you know, we're on the front end of it. We have an exchange. We have corporations coming to us every day. And I can tell you there's a huge movement of institutional and corporate money coming in to the crypto space. And the supply is fixed. I mean, Bitcoin in particular, 21 million Bitcoin. There's no way the price doesn't keep rising. So we've been investing in Bitcoin continuously and pretty heavily since, you know, five, six, seven thousand US a coin. And I used to go on roadshows a year ago and tell people that 50,000 Bitcoin is a given in my mind this year. And wow. people were like, oh my God, that's crazy. And you know, we, we're at 62,500 right now. And I don't know if it'll get to a million a coin um, or how long that will take. But I, you know, I follow, uh, you know, plan B, stock to flow. I'm sure you know the name. I, I really believe we're going to see 100,000 US of Bitcoin, probably 250,000. And 100,000 could be by summer. Um, very wow. easily, two hundred and fifty thousand. You know that could be a year away. Um, that's, that's not too much. That's a four x from here. We're up ten x from last March. So that's a good point. You look yeah, at, and, and you look, look at it. Uh, you know, Bitcoin alone, or, or really all of uh, uh, all, the entire crypto market is is what just under or just around two trillion dollars. And you look at the global bond market. Global bond market is one hundred twenty eight trillion dollars. Yeah. Of go. that 40 trillions corporate, that's, I mean, it's a drop in the bucket. And I think gold somewhere around $10 trillion usually we hear. Uh, and so having crypto at two, it really does feel like something that's, even though I think almost on, on YouTube or social media, everybody's got the laser eyes. When, when we actually broaden out outside of social media, crypto is still very uh, small in the adoption scale, wouldn't you say? A hundred percent. I mean, maybe 5% of people in Canada and the US own crypto. Wow. Um, and and I, I would bet the number is way under 1%. It's probably a fraction of a percent of corporations own crypto and they will buy crypto. They will start putting it on their balance sheet. You know, a guy, a guy with a hundred thousand dollar a year painting business. Um, I'm already seeing those guys showing up and buying two or $3,000 worth of Bitcoin. And they just, you say, why? I'm like, well, it's better than keeping my cash in the bank. Um, for a store of value and a return on an investment when they're not using it. It's highly liquid. They can turn it back into feed anytime they want. Um, yeah, I, I've been saying for a long time we're in the second inning of a nine inning ball game in crypto. And I, I think today the third inning started. I think the Coinbase IPO is the start of the third inning. Uh, the first inning was everything up to the fall of 2017 and the run to you know 20,000 US. The second inning was from pretty much January until about this Christmas, this January, um, you know, and we're just transitioned now into this Coinbase IPO um, and we're going into the third inning, but there's a lot of runway. Wow, that's incredible. What's your take on Kevin O'Leary's argument that uh, in the future, people are gonna care about the origin of their coin, that in order for more institutions to get in uh, because of, uh, you know, social and environmental, uh, you know, governance, they, they want to know where the origin of or what the origin of their Bitcoin was. Do, do you think that's going to be a thing? The jury's out. Um, I've been hearing this for three, four years now that a coin, oh, wow. a coin minted by a miner was going to be more valuable than a coin that comes from the blockchain, wherever it comes from, if it doesn't come from a miner. So it's not a virgin or, you know, origin coin. And, you know, that's 
that's never played out. Uh, miners have tried to claim that they're safer or better coins. I mean, it's sort of like a $20 bill when you get it. It's still worth $20 no matter where it came from. Um, you know, I do see part of the movement to environmental mining being yeah. valuable, right? Moving to renewable energies. That makes a ton of sense for the planet. It makes a ton of sense probably for miners economically. Um, the ESG space and stocks, which I'm sure you're following, is is, is hot and people care about the planet and they should. So, um, but will the value of one coin be different on where it comes from? I, I don't think so. Not not anytime soon. It almost seems difficult. I mean, is it even possible to track uh, the, the coin? I mean, I know that uh, Kevin O'Leary makes this argument that, well, I mean, if we mine it in, let's say, a United States mine, mm -hmm. and then we keep it on a wallet, well, we know that's a clean coin rather than, say, a blood coin or whatever, as Kevin O'Leary says. But, yeah. but once that coin actually gets transacted, doesn't that data get lost? I think the origin will always be there. And again, I mean, you could use a product like mm. Clue where you could track it back to where it came from, right? You can always look oh, wow. at the movement of back to uh, through the blockchain and, and where they okay. came from in, in any direction, frontwards or backwards. So you, you can tell. Now you'd have to know that the, the wallet was owned by, you know, uh, who, whoever, HUD8, right, as an example. So you could say that was an origin coin from that miner. Um, but, you know, some of this stuff is possible for sure. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's incredible. Now, I want to ask you about uh, stable coins and stable coin lending. So uh, a fear that I have with stable coins is that, well, first of all, if people are getting these these incredible returns on a lot of stable coins, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent on, on stable coins, which are kind of, uh, you know, marketed as, as cash, right? I mean, hey, you yeah. can redeem your one Gemini coin for cash, let's say. And, and here's a bank vault that has just as many dollars as it has Gemini coins. But what now happens when you sign up for, I don't know, let's say a BlockFi, for example, you sign up, you deposit your money, you get your interest, you sign up for lending. Uh, but I feel like most people don't realize it's lending, they've got their money sitting there. And uh, then, then, you know, it doesn't have to be BlockFi, it could be any company, they lend it out. And then the person they lend it out to, they lend out the stablecoin. And we get this rehypothecation over and over again of the stablecoin. Doesn't that create some potential risks uh, in, in the market that in the future, if if the value of uh, cryptocurrency is corrected, we could see some real pain in the stablecoin market as all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, we're breaking the buck. I want to redeem, but only that last person <laughs> you know, is able to redeem. Yeah, it's a complex ecosystem. I think, you know, in general, the stablecoins have their place. Um, definitely very valuable for getting in and out of other cryptocurrencies. Um, when you get into the lending space, there's mm -hmm. counterparty risk, right? And mm -hmm. I, I bet if you looked in the legal uh, agreements that you're making when you're signing up for any of these platforms and doing lending and borrowing, um, you're taking on counterparty risk. If you, if you lend your coins to someone, there's some chance that something goes wrong with them or you know who they're dealing with on the other end in order to get you the return. Um, so, that, so I think there's no, there's no guarantees um, in, in any world of lending and borrowing, um, you know, in the banking, the centralized system, the banks, you know, they claim they'll protect you in the decentralized system. It all comes, you still have centralized organizations that you're working with when you're doing, um, lending for the most part, there's organizations like Gemini, like you say, they're setting up staking and lending, you know, you got to count on them to, to be there at the end of the day. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it really comes down to almost that organization or uh, the, the coin that you're investing in, whether that's USDC or maybe it's a Voyager coin or, or whatever coin, yeah. you have to trust that organization issuing that, huh? You do. Absolutely. You know, I know that is it properly backed and is it properly managed? 
um, you have to trust those people. And that's why there's a lot of different staple coins out there now, um, different organizations with, with different models. Um, and you can pick which one you, you like. There's talk now about, I think it's a, is it a gold backed either cryptocurrency or I, I'm not sure if it was a stable coin, but there's some kind of gold backed crypto uh, that, that somebody was, that set uh, someone in New York, I think set aside $6 billion in gold to, to back, uh, hold on, let's see here. Yeah. Cryptocurrency. There we go. Have you heard about this? Any comments on this? I've heard about a couple of them over the years. In fact, we, we were approached um, at different times at, at big uh, companies looking into doing it, asking our opinion and what we thought. Um, and it, it makes total sense. I mean, you, you know, the, the greenback was originally uh, backed by gold, right? And they changed mm -hmm. the gold standard. But um, sure, you can have a stable coin that's, that's backed by gold and all the gold is there. To, to maintain the value of the stable coin. So I think there's actually multiple of those um, oh. either on the market or coming to the market. And uh, it's as it's good a model as backing a stable coin with US dollars as far as I'm concerned. Now, at what point do those stable coins then or currencies become a... Uh become a security. I think that's that's always the big question with the SEC is like, well, wait a minute. You know, if, if this is a slice of a stock and it's or it's a derivative of a stock, well then it's a security, not a currency. Like where where does that whole thing become blurry and messy and how does how does that get fixed? It's already blurry and messy. Um it's it's <laughs> it's we have these conversations with regulators regularly about not just stable coins, but you know any crypto coin. Is it actually being used as a security um, or is it a currency? And the debate will continue on, I think, for some time. And, you know, they, they can look at the different features of securities and currencies. And with exchanges and brokers, I can tell you that they say that all of you are dealing in securities because you're doing forward contracts. So if someone buys, uh, you know, $100 worth of Bitcoin on Netcoins and they leave their $100 worth of Bitcoin on our platform, uh, a regulator would look at that and say, that's actually a derivatives contract. That's a forward contract where you say you'll give them that Bitcoin later whenever they ask for it. There might not be a uh -huh. date of expiration, but you're holding their crypto, which basically means you're holding a security in their mind. So now, now you're dealing in securities, um, regardless of whether the underlying asset is a security. As soon as you engage in a forward contract or a derivative, um, you're in securities. And the only solution to that is immediate delivery. And there is some platforms out there where you buy, you have to give them a wallet and you get settled off platform. That's the only choice. They can get around that. But all, all the mainstream brokers and exchanges, of course, talk about assets under management and they're automatically dealing in securities in the eyes of most regulators. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. What, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to, that's going to stay blurry. What do you think the biggest risk is going forward? In the crypto market in general? Yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of huge risks. Um, you know, there's going to be government uh, potentially intervention, right? If, you know, government X comes out of Italy just to make up something randomly, say we're banning all cryptocurrency, we're banning all mining, we're banning any use of it. It's 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 criminal to own it, right? That would be for sure a risk, and that would be something where you'd see crypto would have a hard day. And then the bigger you know the government, the bigger the country. Um, the harder it would be for crypto, ultimately, because if they made an illegal asset to, to possess, that would be a risk. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. There's no indication that we're seeing from governments and regulators in general um, about that. Um, they just want to make sure it's uh, safe again for market participants, which really comes down to regulating the endpoints. You know, that's why yeah. New York has a bit license. And, uh, you know, 
in, in different countries in the world, they have different licenses to make sure that the exchanges people are dealing with are above board, et cetera. Yeah, and that that's what, what it, I find so fascinating is just this real debate over what's what's going to be the final destination, the future of, of regulation versus what is it? Is it a security or currency? Because I, I think there are a lot of people on the sidelines waiting to potentially invest in crypto or even get interested in crypto once they hear it's fully regulated. Because right now there's so much blurriness. I feel like most people, like you had mentioned earlier, maybe 95% or maybe even 99% of people just don't even know anything about crypto or don't certainly don't own any. Uh, I, I feel like once, once we have clear regulation, isn't it possible that could be a catalyst for really getting to maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth inning and, and these prices really blowing up? Kevin, I feel like you've been studying this space very closely because you're, you're nailing it. That's exactly what is happening. Um, mm. That is the catalyst for wider adoption is wow. this regulated future, right? This is why big digital assets exists um, in our tagline compliance for crypto. We have said that the future is all going to be around regulation. That's a huge catalyst for the market in general. And everyone is on the sideline. So, I mean, there's huge volumes traded in crypto but we have a ton of customers that have come to us, corporations, institutions that say, we don't own any crypto, but as soon as you're licensed, we're gonna buy crypto from you because we're waiting for that regulatory uh, safety and security and nod, and we don't wanna be buying an asset um, that we're worried the government will come out and say is you know, on the wrong side of the law or something. So the, right. the regulatory future, and in Canada, again, they just announced maybe 10 days ago that everyone's gonna need to be regulated if you're a market maker or exchange or broker. And we started that conversation in 2018 uh, with the regulators saying, you know, we think the same thing. It's gonna help bring adoption. It's gonna bring safety and security to the space. And it's gonna bring a huge portion of those other 95% that aren't in crypto um, into crypto because it'll, it'll feel like they're opening a brokerage account to buy Apple stock, only it's Bitcoin. It'll feel safe and secure to them. Uh, yeah. Now, I want to know, how does your, so you've got this security uh, service at your company. How does your trading service compare to some of the features of, let's say, a Coinbase? Yeah, so we're a brokerage. Uh, so you could, you know, think of us, uh, uh, there's a lot of different brokers out there. Voyager is one that operates in the States. Um, you know, our, our platform has really designed uh, to onboard new customers and it really new people to crypto. All the growth in the market is not exchanges and brokers stealing each other's customers. It's people mm -hmm. deciding to enter the crypto market for the first time. So wow. Netcoins is built specifically to make someone who's brand new to crypto be able to come in, sign up easily for the platform, understand it, understand their balances and their coins and very simply on how they can you know, buy and hold and, and sell these coins in a very simple and easy way to use. And we have a real focus on customer support. You're hearing about a lot of platforms are having uh, struggles with growth and, you know, delays in, in getting back to customers. We have an amazing support team that'll talk to you on live chat, email, phone. Everybody gets taken care of very efficiently. Nice. And people that are new to crypto need that. They need that hand-holding and that helping. But that's where all the growth in the market is coming from now is new customers entering the space. So, you know, people need fair prices, et cetera, but we have a great platform for them to use, easy to understand and, you know, great support so they can get in and buy their first $50 worth of Bitcoin. And, you know, then they get comfortable and they'll buy their first thousand dollars and then their first $5,000. And that's, that's how a new customer has grown in our ecosystem.
I, I love that you don't see it as as competitive. That really, uh, what everybody's doing is is uh, what you're saying is really just growing the total addressable market. Is when you bring somebody on, it's this is a good chance. This is new money. This is not coming from another crypto space. Is, is that something that you're seeing with with data at your company, or that people are depositing maybe cash instead of transferring over coins? Or how how do you come to that conclusion? And that is the big way. So most of the inbound, um, you call it money, is fiat currency. So we're an on-ramp and off-ramp for fiat. So there's some global exchanges where the only way you can get on is to bring on a stable coin or Bitcoin or whatever to get in. They don't take dollars. We take dollars and that's how most of our customers come in is they email money transfer in, they bill pay in, they wire payment in. And you know we have great dialogue. We survey our customers. The growth is really coming from people that are brand new to the market. We're nationally advertising on all the major radio stations in the major markets and the three national television networks in Canada. And every time an ad runs, we see a, you know, a big influx of customers and you know, we ask them like, where did you hear about us? And they'll say, you know, TV, radio, et cetera. And I know that they're new customers to the space. Um, and all the competitors, I mean, we have a great ecosystem in Canada where I know the CEOs of most of the uh, crypto exchanges, the mining companies, and there's, there's certainly competition, but there's a lot of cooperation and we're in this to build an ecosystem together that we really believe is changing the financial marketplace and the way, uh, you know, finance can work in Canada and then and then beyond. Um, so it's pretty exciting um, to see what everybody's doing, but it's definitely new customers entering the market. Any plans of, of bringing your platform to the United States in the future? I mean, it looks very easy to use. Absolutely. So we're we're actually going through a bit of a study right now on um, which states uh, are most conducive to our regulatory approach. We want to make sure that when we move in, we have you know regulatory, I guess, support. Um, and it's a state by state uh, operation uh, from a regulatory point in the states. Is there's no you know global national rule around regulation. So you got to look at the state, look at their money transmitter laws, etc. And we're trying to decide where we're going to launch, but we, we expect to launch in the States in the next three to six months. I imagine, too, the licensing has got to be tough. I mean, you probably have to get uh, to operate, I imagine, in every state. You probably have to have an individual license for every state, right? I think that's how it works. There is. And if you look at fine print of you know, U.S.-based uh, brokerages or exchanges, they'll say we operate in all these different states. And some will be left out because they have different rules and they're harder to get into. Um, you you know, need they, a national license. That's a disaster. Totally do. And, you know, there's some states have a crypto sort of law, right? Or the way they see crypto and crypto regulations. Some don't, but they say if you're operating in cryptocurrency space, you're a money transmitter. So you got to follow our money transmitter regulations. And they come with potentially large bonds. Like you got to put up a $10 million bond just to get a license to operate a money transmitter business. And if you're in crypto, you're a money transmitter. And then there's some states that have no regulation at all that uh, pertains to crypto and they don't see you as a money transmitter. So it's a real fabric uh, patchwork, I guess you could say, um, to operate. Yeah, I hear New York is like a disaster. Like there's certain companies that just cannot get their license through in New York for just as an example. Yeah, well, they have the bit license and it's notoriously difficult to get. And um, lots of people spend uh, years trying with no success. And I don't know... I don't know what uh, the reasoning is, but you know, regulators certainly have a lot of things they care about, like how you very specifically onboard a customer or which coins you make available for trading is an example, because some of them have cold storage available at, at custody companies that are trusted with SOC 1 compliance and other coins don't. So they'll say you can't trade that coin 
And if you're in the business and you say, well, I want to trade that coin, you can just say, okay, I'm not going to open up in New York then. You know, there's, it's a, it's a dance between market participants and regulators to, to get it all right still. Gotcha. Well, I want to know, you had mentioned at the beginning that uh, you've got a finance background. And so I want to know how, since obviously you're the CEO of a crypto company, how would you, looking in from the outside, maybe value a company like Coinbase, right? How, how would you even go about that? Uh, or, or even your own company, given that uh, looking at Coinbase, just because it's been so uh, in the news here, their transaction revenue is through the roof in Q1. Uh, we don't expect that to remain, but hey, maybe their their other revenues go up as people will stake and lend and borrow and all this. Where would you start? Well, I mean, revenue is definitely a place to start, um, but growth is the other place, right? You look at their growth percentage and their growth curve, um, you know, and you can say from where they are, you know, how much can they grow? Um, you take Coinbase, you can look at their revenue, you can look at their market cap today, and you can say, you know, are they going to triple revenues in the next year? which you could argue in traditional financial modeling around cash flows and stuff could mean their market cap could triple or you could say you know what they're probably you know pretty close to as high as they're going to get without new revenue streams and you know therefore the valuation probably is going to stay flat so i think you really got to look at a growth curve um, around revenue but you also have to look at technology value um, you know for example uh, clue is an incredible piece of technology that market is still early on you wouldn't want to value it just on revenue, you want to value it based on, you know, where do you see the market going? Who's going to be around in two, three and five years and be, you know, a market leader. Um, so, you know, that's what's great about public companies is people are typically valuing them on the expectations of where they'll be in the future in the next six months, 12 months, two years, three years. Um, so you got to look at a bunch of things that, you know, what is the tech, how unique it is, how competitive or non-competitive is small as the market, uh, you know, where is this company growing? What are the new products that they're able to introduce? All, all of those different pieces. And at the end of the day, you know, particularly a public company is worth what someone will pay for it. But I think everybody at the end of the day is bringing it all back to growth and future expectations. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, now, uh, where do you see the NFT space going? Is is this something uh, that uh, is is a fad? Is this really going to grow? Do you expect products to be a part of your company? Uh, you know, in the NFT space in the future. I think it is a nascent market that is actually has a lot of potential. I mean, you look what? at what the NBA has done with I think it's Topshop. Um, and, and selling, you know, digital moments and videos. And then, you know, it, it goes on and on. Jack Dorsey's first tweet and, um, you know, digital collectibles. Who am I to say that a, a digital collectible like a crypto kitty or something is, is not worth uh, more to someone than, you know, a, a vintage Mustang convertible, right? If it has value to the person who bought it to know that they have it, they enjoy it, they have the only one of it, then there's value in it. And that's what NFTs make possible in the digital space. It was, you couldn't sell someone your crypto kitty very easily before or your first tweet. Now there's a way to put it on the blockchain, confirm that you have it and only you have it. And again, um, I think there's, you know, our kids live on screens now. The world has gone super digital. It's gone crypto, blockchain. It's, you know, my kid plays Fortnite and, and he thinks nothing of buying, you know, things on Fortnite like uh, dances or whatever it might be. Um, there's value to him. Everybody else might think it's crazy. But um, at the end of the day, the NFT space, I do think is going to is here to stay. I think it can grow. 
Um, we're not in that space per se, but people could start trading those assets on any crypto exchange or broker. I mean, at some point you could say, listen, this is, this is where we're going to trade it. Um, or we might invest in a company in that space. We certainly look at opportunities as a public company to take pieces of other companies that are doing novel things on the blockchain and crypto. So uh, we're keeping our eyes open and, you know, I do think the space is going to keep growing. That's yeah, absolutely. Uh, it it uh, it is. It's a very good point that you mentioned. Who says uh, somebody's crypto kitty is is worth less than uh, than somebody's Mustang? You know, maybe people don't like Mustangs, right? And there's you know in the eye of the holder, right? And, and there's no maintenance on a crypto kitty. <laughs> um, it, probably. What about so y'all in Canada? I'm pretty sure you've got monthly stimulus over there. Or at least you had that. Uh, did you notice a direct correlation between people receiving two thousand? I think it was two thousand dollars stimulus checks in Canada and, and deposits. Yeah, I mean, you, we saw this uh, in the U.S. indirectly because every time a stimulus package was announced, it went out. Bitcoin went up in price. Um, you know, and we did definitely <laughs> see it in Canada as well. A movement. Um, both in the prices of the assets, but also in deposits uh, into our platform. I think there's been a, a big move of, you know, I got $1,000, $2,000. That could be worth twice as much or 50% more if I put it into an asset. You've seen it in crypto, and we've definitely been beneficiaries, and you see it in the stock market. Um, you know, a lot of the movements in the market have been new stimulus money going to work uh, in the capital markets, and it's it's been great. It's helping people that have needed that stimulus money um, turn it into more money to support themselves. Absolutely. Do you see a 2017 style like uh, ICO craze again with with many different altcoins? It seems like we have way fewer now than we had during the last craze, which obviously the last craze ended up in a pretty rough crash. So yeah. I guess A would be, do you see another one of those crazes coming? And, and, and B, does that mean that a crash is coming again? Um, to start with the ICO side, no, I don't. I don't see a big push. You don't hear about it. I mean, they're used, in 2017. Everybody and his dog came up with an ICO, and it was yeah. it could literally be a two-page white paper that was an idea, and then they'd launch a token, uh, raise a whole bunch of money. Um, you know, some of them were very cool, legit ideas, and of course, some were not. Um, the regulators definitely have stepped in and, and are looking at that space a lot closer. You, we've seen a lot of action. You've seen settlements. You've seen um, you've seen enough to know that no one's going to suddenly rush in with an ICO unless it's a really carefully thought out idea and they have, I would say, regulatory uh, at least involvement to make sure they're not going to get clawed back or in trouble after. Um, so I don't I don't see that market heating up in that way um, anytime soon. Therefore, I, I don't see a crash in it. I mean. The whole crypto market compared to 2017, that was a retail frenzy. This is yeah. an institutional investment movement. Um, wow. It feels entirely different. I, I lived through both of them. Um, you could tell it was, you know, everyday people just, they didn't even know what Bitcoin was, but they were gonna buy some, right? It was a talk of every dinner party. It, it was it was everywhere it was on the front page of every newspaper. It's not like that now. You you open up Saturday, report on business newspaper, and you don't even see Bitcoin on the front page, which is how I know it's not hit sort of retail pandemonium and euphoria. But what you do is you go into page two and three and you read about, you know, BlackRock and uh, and mutual uh, Liberty Mutual and, you know, Tesla and MicroStrategy and guys buying in with a whole strategy around store of value. Um, it's different. It's institutional money. And we're I honestly don't think we're going to see any sort of big correction or pullback like we saw in 2017. Wow, nice. 
Very last question. DeFi, is this a concern? Uh, you know, de uh, decentralized, there's, there's no no organization backing you when you're out there. What, what's your take on DeFi? I love the idea of DeFi. I think that space is going to be big. Um, we actually just invested uh, in the seed round of a company called DeFi Ventures here in Canada. Uh, has some great leaders behind it. Um, and we're doing some really unique integration plays and making that space accessible to everyday retail investors and institutional investors. Um, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to replace the banks in six months. Um, yeah. But I do believe that decentralized finance is going to become a more and more mainstream way that without banks in the middle, people can lend and, and borrow money. I mean, if you want money and I have money, it makes sense. We should be able to use some tokens in a blockchain for me to give it to you and charge you an interest rate with, without getting a bank in the middle of us that'll, you know, takes money out of both of our pockets because they take a cut and it's going to make me make less money and you be able to, you know, borrow less money or have a pay a higher interest rate. So. I think it's a fantastic space. I think it's going to be uh, it's going to grow a lot from here over the coming months and years. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, golly, thank you so much for for taking the time to answer these questions. This was really insightful. I mean, we got to talk about uh, so many different things in this. Uh, anything that you want to leave off with? Uh, any any shout out you want to give? Uh, it's, uh, oh, floor is open to you. Yeah, no, I just want to, you know, say thanks to all the, the hardworking employees and people on our team at big um, both at Blockchain Intelligence Group and Netcoins. Um, we're doing some really special things in the Canadian market, uh, building some great products that bring great value to both our customers and the ecosystem and the future of, of crypto. So, um, you know, and thank you to all of our shareholders and our investors that have been with us since, you know, the very early days. Some go back as far as 2017, 2018, and um, we're excited about the future of, of what we're doing, what we're building and uh, where we're going from here. So thank uh, thank our investors as well. Awesome. Mark, thank you so very much for your time. Stand by for one moment. Everybody, uh, thank you so much for watching. Uh, if you found this helpful, consider subscribing and sharing, and we'll see you next time.